right, well, we are going to get started so that we can get back on schedule. Uh, my name is Sarah House, and this session is entitled Conflict Management and Dealing with Difficult People. So if you're sitting by the person that's giving you trouble this morning, you, and I hear like, oh, I'll just know that you're kind of like nudging them to say, hey, are you paying attention? Um, but before we really dive in, I am interested... Um, and if there is any specific thing that you thought, hey, I need to go to that session because I want to walk away with this, or I want to take this away, or uh, don't give me details, okay? I don't want to know like what, what all's going on. But, but if there is a specific thing, you're like, I'm looking for a tool for this or a resource for that, because sometimes I don't have it included here, but I do have a resource or something like that that I can either point you to or refer to later. So I always like to start that way. So does anybody have anything? You say, I'm in this room because this is the thing I hope to walk away with. This is what I want to take away. Anybody? Yeah. So our church, we have leadership that has um, children that are also in leadership. So how, how do you handle, as a parent perhaps, if you're a leader over your child, how do you handle that with modeling Christ-like behavior? Hmm, okay. So you're saying like in, you have like kids that are leaders, but you're also the, the parent of those kids? So the child is an adult now, and they've got, come into church. Gotcha, okay. And the, the like pastor is mm -hmm. now, it, that their child is underneath them. How do you handle having difficult conversations okay. if they're not in agreement? Okay, I think there is something towards the end that's going to really help with that. Okay, anybody else have anything you're like, I want to walk away with this? What is a time frame to deal with a difficult person? Oh, boy, that's a really good question. That is a really good question. And I'm going to jot that down because when we get to the end, I'm going to come back to that. Because that is going to be highly relative and somewhat subjective. But I do think that we, we can uh, have some guidelines there. Anybody else? I want to make sure I'm not a Well, that's, that's kind of how we're going to start it today. So that's, that's how we're going to start it. So we're, we're definitely going to talk about that. Anybody else? All right. Well, with that, let us dive in. So as I said, my name is Sarah House. I am the Events and Resourcing Director at the Network Office. And what that means is that any of our large-scale events, I oversee some of the logistics for, as well as events like this, like Synergy. So uh, Synergy is my baby. It's probably the one I'm the most proud of because I love this. I love the fact that we're developing leaders because that is our mission. So for me, Synergy is like it is on mission for who we are and what we're about. But on occasion, I answer the phone. Only because sometimes when our receptionist is out, we'll share that responsibility. And we have like a portable phone and everybody answers the phone. Well, I want to share with you a story to get us started here. Because one time, several years ago, I had the luxury of answering the district office phone. And sometimes we get calls from people who are mad at their pastors. We get that one a lot. People mad at their pastors. And the funny thing is, is they think we can actually do something about that. Because most people don't understand that in the Assemblies of God, general council churches are autonomous. So you can call us, but if there's not a moral failure or like some major situation, there, there's very limited scope on which we would come into a local church and be heavily involved. And so this person called 
calls, they're mad at their pastor, and their words to me, and I promise I'm not making this up, is that they were going to leave our faith and become a Buddhist. Now, I will say, like on the surface, Buddhists might look more peaceful than Pentecostals, so maybe he was seeking peace. I'm not really sure, but, but this is what he told me. He said, I'm leaving, and I'm going to become a Buddhist because my pastor's doing this, and every church I get in, this is going on, and I'm just tired of this, and he's just mad and out of sorts. And so we talked for a while. We talked about his frustration just a little bit. But this is how I ended the conversation. I ended it by saying, you can absolutely choose another faith. I mean, welcome to America, right? You go, go be and do whatever you want to do and be. But I promise you that wherever you go, you're going to run into the exact same problems. Because conflict is not a church problem. We have it, but it's not a church problem. Conflict is a people problem. Yeah, it's a people problem. It's everywhere. And difficult people, like the force, you will always have with you. Okay? They're not going anywhere. Everywhere you go, difficult people are going to follow. And sometimes you are that difficult person. So there are times when... We say to ourselves, I would like the secret sauce. I want the thing that's going to eliminate and get rid of all the difficult people in my life. Well, I got news for you. If that is what you're looking for, you are in the wrong class because that's not what we're going to do here. You're probably not at the right event because to get rid of all of the difficult people in your life probably will require some illegal action. And we're not going to, we're not going to encourage that, okay? So what we're going to talk about today is how do you manage it? How do you manage some difficult people, difficult situations, and how can you yourself uh, help to be better at it? But to get started, we're going to have a little pop quiz. Okay, little pop quiz. So I was, uh, when I was in school, I always kind of waited for the day when I would be in positions where I could say pop quiz because I want a bit of a power trip. So here we go. I have a story here. I'm going to read this story to you. I'm going to leave it up there, and you're welcome to refer to it as often as you like. And then we're going to take a little quiz about the story, and we're going to see how everyone does. A businessman had just turned off the lights in the store when a man appeared and demanded money. The owner opened a cash register. The contents of the cash register were scooped up, and the man sped away. A member of the police force was notified promptly. So for each of these questions I'm going to ask you, the answer is either true, false, or there's no way to know from the story. Okay? So here we go. Question number one. A man appeared after the owner had turned off his store lights. Who says true? Oh, come on, don't be chicken. If you think it's true, raise your hand. Okay, who says false? Who says there's no way to know from the story? Okay, there's no way to know from the story because the story does not say that the person who turned off the lights was the owner. Okay, number two. The robber was a man. True, false, or cannot know. The robber was a man. Who says true? Who says false? Who says you can't know? Y'all going to raise your hands on you can't know now just every time, aren't you? I know. I know what you're up to. Okay? But you are right. You cannot know because the story does not say the man who demanded money was a robber. 
Maybe it was a teenage boy saying, come on, Daddy, pony up, right? Okay, let's look at number three. Number three, the man did not demand money. The man did not demand money. Is that true? Who says true? That he did not demand money? You never, oh, oh. Who says false? Who says you cannot know? <laughs> it is false. You're safe with that one. It absolutely tells us that a man did demand money. Okay, number four. The man who opened the cash register was the owner. True? You cannot know. Because the story does not say that the owner was a male. All right, here we go, number five. The store owner scooped up the contents of the cash register and ran away. You can't know. You can't know, okay? So number five, it says the store owner scooped up the contents of the cash register and ran away. But we cannot know because the story does not eliminate the possibility that it was the owner who scooped up the contents. Okay? All right, we're going to do one more. You ready? Someone opened a cash register. True, false, or cannot know? You're cracking me up. <laughs> She's like, true. <laughs> and you are right. It is true. Yes, someone did open the cash register. Okay, but you do see that there is a lot of room in here for us to impose our own ideas. Because let me tell you what happens in your brain. Anybody ever seen the show Brain Games? Doesn't that like just freak you out and make you doubt everything you ever see and everything you ever heard, right? Because when we encounter a situation, our brain does this amazing thing and it begins to fill in the blanks to try to make sense of it, okay? Your brain is designed to do that. Because our brain has a filter on it so that we don't get overwhelmed, right? So people that have ADHD, so my son has ADHD, so I, I've done quite a bit of study on, on the effects that this has on his brain. But ADHD brains, the, what's wrong is that they, they're lacking the filter. So they get overwhelmed because everything comes at them at once. But see, God gave you an amazing gift of a filter that says, I'm going to block this and I'm going to block that so that I can focus on this. But then what happens is when you encounter a situation or a story, you paint the picture in your mind and you're going to fill in all of those details so that it makes sense. This is why people can form religion out of seeing the face of Jesus in a piece of pie. And the next thing we know, they're burning candles and worshiping a piece of pie. It's because your brain will say, see images and faces even when none exist. I have one of those shower doors, you know, that has like all of the, it's, uh, I don't know how to explain it, it's like that glass that you can't see through, you know what I mean? I see all kinds of things in there. I see Mickey Mouse. I see people. I see all kinds of things. And you do too, I'm sure. That's why we look at clouds and go, oh, look, this is that and this is that. It's because your brain is designed to fill in gaps and fill in blanks, which works great for creativity. It works great for conversation. It doesn't work great if you're worshiping pie because you see the face of Jesus. And it does not work great in conflict. It does not work great in conflict. Well, there's this one episode of Brain Games that blows me away because they actually stage a robbery. 
Okay, they have someone come up and, and act like they're robbing someone and they take it away and they make this big dramatic scene in a crowded park. Well, they film it, obviously, so that they can show it to you and then they go around and get eyewitness accounts. And it is crazy. I mean, the story varies from a woman in a red dress came over to a man in a ski mask. I mean, it's crazy the stuff people came up with. Again, it's because their brain is filtering in the details. Because every conflict you enter, there is one common factor, and that's you. It's what you bring to the table. It's your understanding. It's your experiences. It becomes a common factor. They did one other thing in Brain Games I'm going to share with you just because it, again, just blew me away. They had like a salesperson and they were standing behind a counter like this. And then they would have people come up and interact with the salesperson. And then they would distract them. And when they were distracted, that person would pop down and a whole other person would come up. Sometimes, like, I mean, like completely different looking person. And they would just keep talking to the salesperson they never noticed. It is just wild. If you've never seen the show, it'll, just, it'll make you question everything. And, and they, they tracked it like 90% of people did not notice that a new person was standing there talking to them. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And yet perception plays a crucial role in conflict management. So with these kind of jumbled up brains of ours and an inability to trust what we see or hear, how do we manage conflict? That's the question. And this morning, that's what we're going to look at. So there's so much material available on conflict. I mean, you Google it, and you're going to get like a million things. You're going to get websites. You're going to get research. So I'm going to share with you the three things that have been very effective for me in dealing with conflict, okay? So, and again, there's tons more out there, but I want to give you three things that I think will help you, that will help you deal with your team, help you in your church, maybe even with your family. I don't know, family is a little trickier than most conflict, but, um, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Okay, the first one is to develop empathy. To develop empathy. Empathy is one of the most important aspects of conflict resolution. And it's defined this way. And by the way, I can make my notes available. So, uh, you know, I can upload them into the, the SCAD app or send them to you or whatever. So, um, but feel, obviously feel free to take notes, but I can send them to you. Empathy is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Okay, empathy is what sociopaths lack, right? They don't have the ability to understand the impact of something. It's seeing something from someone else's point of view. So I'm going to show you an image here. Okay? So which gray square, how many of you have ever seen this before? Have you ever seen this before? Okay. Which gray square is darker? Okay. I did not alter the image in any way. All I did was put a black bar to cover the dark line here and the light line there because the squares are actually the same color. Okay? They're actually the same color. So is it possible that people can experience the same situation and see it differently? Absolutely, right? It happens all the time. As a matter of fact, you may be going around talking about what a pain somebody is and how difficult they're being, but guess what they're saying about you? <laughs> they're saying that you're a pain and you're difficult, right? We have to leave a little tiny space for the possibility that we could be wrong. Because if not, you might end up looking like an idiot later, right? My husband tells me all the time, he says, you always think you're right. 
To which I say, of course I do, because if I thought I was wrong, I would think something else. <laughs> right? Come on, Steve, you get it. Right? If I thought something else, if I thought I was wrong, I'd think something else. So now he says, could you just leave a little space for the possibility that you could be wrong? That's what he says now. He kind of changed his tactic. So I want to give you a list of factors that influence perception. Okay? A list of factors that influence your perception and others as well. One of them is, is that we judge ourselves more charitably than we do others. Right? You're going to be easier on yourself than you are on other people. Okay? I'll give you an example of that. If I lay on the couch and eat bad food and watch TV for an entire day, it's because I worked really hard and I'm tired. If somebody else does it, I'm like, get up off your lazy backside and do something. Right? I judge myself more charitably than I do other people. We judge ourselves by our motives and we judge others by their actions. Now, there's a reason for that, because I don't know their motives, right? So I only know what I see, but still, we have to remember that we don't know the heart, we don't know the motive, only the Lord does. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, too. Here's another one. We cling to first impressions. So typically, if somebody really ticks you off pretty early in the relationship in a very offensive way, that's it. They're done. I tell my husband all the time, they just went on my husband's like, I'm done with you list, right? I, I watch it happen. I'm all done with you. We, we tend to cling to those first impressions. We assume that others think like us and process like us. Okay, and I'll give you an example of this. So at the office, there's this joke about 20 minutes. Because one time I shared a story. You've got to be really careful what you say to your friends, right? So one time I shared a story about how when I was a kid, and it was really a series of stories, but when I was a kid, my mother was very big on, like, suck it up, buttercup. I mean, that was, like, her mindset. Like, you get over it. You get over it fast, right? So my mom would literally, like, you know, boy just dumped me or whatever. And my mom would literally be like, you got 20 minutes. <laughs> and then it's time to pick yourself up and move on, right? So because I was raised that way, I assume everybody can process like me. So I tell all of my friends, I love you so much, but don't come to me when you're like in it and you need someone just like to grovel and be really sorry for you. You come to me when you're ready to get over it because that's when my personality kicks in and then I'm like, let's go. Let's get out of this, right? But I assume people process like me, so I get very impatient. I'm like, why are we still whining about this? Oh my goodness, you've got 20 minutes, right? So I have to make room. I have to make room and understand that they may not process like me. They had a different childhood. They had different experiences. And the last one that influences our perception is that we favor negative impressions. This is why things like Lifetime are so successful. My husband calls that, like, what does he call it? It's really funny. He's like, that's like the man-hating, wife-abusing, whatever channel, right? <laughs> yeah, because it is, right? But there's a reason people watch it. And you know what cracks me up is we will all get around and talk about how ridiculous it is that people, like, I don't even know why the news prints that. I don't even know why they make movies like that. Because people watch it. And people read it. Because people favor the negative. They like to get in a huddle and get all stirred up and talking about that thing that's happening and what we're going to do about it. All people need is a common enemy to be best friends. Right? So we look and tend towards things that are negative. And again, in conflict, that does not serve us well. That we tend towards the negative. But because so much conflict is subject to human interpretation, it's important 
really important, and as Christ followers, probably the most important thing is that we care about the person as much as the behavior. Because if we only focus on the behavior, it's only half the picture. There's a whole complicated person all wound up in there. Right? We are complicated. Human beings are complex individuals. When I tell people I'm an introvert, they just about have a heart attack. But I am an absolute introvert. I will go home tonight and I will pull all the blinds in my bedroom. And I will take a bath and I will get in my bed and you won't see me for two days. Because I will have expended all of my people energy here today. Okay? So we can't, we have to understand that people are complex. And we have to consider the person and not just the behavior. So number one, we've got to develop empathy. The ability to see from somebody else's point of view. Number two, and don't worry, we're going to get to the part where like, I tell you how you can like, you know, slap them around a little bit when they're irritating you. But we're going to, the first two are all about you, and then, then we'll hit the other people. Okay. So number two, we're going to guard our responses. We're going to guard our responses. I had a coworker, and now, now Steve works with me at the office, so you can't sit there and try to figure out who this is, okay? Because I'm, I'm going to tell a story here about a coworker, but I'm not going to use their name. Okay, I had a coworker at the office that used to make me so mad, and this was several years ago, just for the record, okay? And they used to make me so mad because every time I would text them or call them or come to them, they would always have, like, their first reaction was always so strong, and they, they would always be just negative and harsh, and sometimes they would, like, come at me, like just like attacking me. I got so mad at one point. I'm not kidding you. I went into John Wooten's office and I said, in my imagination, he's laying on the ground and I'm jumping up and down on his face. <laughs> That's what I said to him. And then aren't you so, so glad you have such mature, refined people working at the network office for you on your behalf. <laughs> but I was just, I had had it. I had had it. And that is true. In my imagination, I was like pouncing up and down on his face. So I went to Dan Holbrook. Does anybody in here know Dan Holbrook? Okay. Dan Holbrook is just the sweetest, kindest man. And he is such an incredible leader and godly man. And I went to Dan Holbrook and I said, Dan, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> That's it. I just, I am all done and I'm coming at him with both barrels. And Dan Holbrook said something to me that, and this was years ago, but I still reflect on it because it just changed something for me. And this is what he said. He said, right now, he's the one in the wrong. And God's going to deal with him. If you do what you want to do and go after him, you're going to be in the wrong and God's going to deal with you. And I was like, wow, that is so true. I had another friend who said this to me one time. They said, this story is going to be told again. Make sure you behave in such a way that when it's retold, you feel good about how you did it. <laughs> right? Because in the moment, we're not thinking about how it's going to turn out. We're thinking about our own emotions. And you know what? The Bible has a thing or two to say about this. I want to give you a few scriptures. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Psalm 141.1. The number of times my mother said to me, I, I would hear her say it all the time. She would say, Lord, put a guard at my mouth. Put a guard at my mouth. Put a guard at my mouth. I heard my mother say it so many times. I say it too. It just doesn't work as well for me. <laughs> James 1.26 says, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. Your religion is worthless. Wow. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Gracious and attractive. 
Proverbs 12.18 says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. One more. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And then let's not forget the fruit of the Spirit. How about self-control? Right? How about self-control? Self-control is a mark of maturity. It's a mark of maturity. If I go shopping and I don't get what I want, I don't lay in the floor and kick and scream and roll around and have a temper fit very often. But I don't usually do that. Why? Because I am mature. Right? I don't do like my five-year-old would go in the store and they didn't have his toy or he gets told no and all of a sudden you've got this colossal fit in the middle of the store and everybody's judging your parenting. Right? He did that because he was five. I'm 46 years old. If I do that, that's going to look ridiculous, right? Because self-control is a mark of maturity. Now, let me tell you something that irritates me. This is my pet peeve right here. I'm just being real. That just goes, you ever just want to see the hair on the back of my neck stand up? Just let that be your response to me sometime. I'm just being real. I'm just being real. Because what we have convinced ourselves of is that the value of us being real is higher than the value of the fruit of the Spirit. And it simply is not. Because to be real, right, that is to be natural. But we are not called to be natural. We are called to be supernatural. Supernatural. So let me tell you what maturity is not. It is not boring. Self-control is not boring. It gets the label for being boring because, oh, that person is so, like, refined and they're just dull and they have no personality, right? It's not that. It's not lacking sincerity. I can be perfectly sincere. I can be perfectly real and exercise self-control. You know what else it's not? It's not letting people run all over you. But we convince ourselves that if we don't put our dukes up and come at something with the same aggression it comes towards us, that... We're letting them run all over us. And we're not. My son got in a, a fight one time. Not a physical fight, but this kid was kind of like getting in his face and mouthing off. And, you know, he comes up to me and he was just like, you know, I didn't know what to do. And, and, and he was just so upset because, and you know what I said to him? I said, son, you did the right thing. Because to engage in that battle means that you are giving him power over you. But to just walk away and say No. You know what I tell the ladies at the office, so Donna and Betsy and I, we, we work very closely because we travel all the events together. We travel the celebration tours. So if you ever want to know anything about me, they can tell you. But I tell them all the time, right, I can't control if somebody comes here, like gets in my face and comes at me. I can absolutely control if it comes here, right? I don't give them the right They have no right and no business to come here. They can get up here in my face if they want. They cannot come here. This is my space, and they're not invited. Okay? In conflict, we have to guard our nonverbal and our verbal behavior. Now, I want to clarify here because some people get mixed up about what is verbal and what is nonverbal. So, in the world of communication, anything that is not the words themselves is considered nonverbal communication. Okay? Anything other than the words. So what does that include? That includes tone. That includes pitch. That includes inflection. 
right? And it also includes facial expressions and gestures and the things that we, we know are nonverbal communication. So my husband and I have this joke where so you know someone can say something and it's not their words, their words may be fine, but they say it in such a tone that really they should have just put the word stupid at the end of it, right? Because that is what their tone was saying to you. Our nonverbals matter. They matter. They matter because some, some statistics say as high as 90% of our communication, right? I don't know how they quantify that, but it's a lot. A lot of our communication is based in nonverbal. It is our inflection, it's our pitch, it's our tone of voice, right? It's the eye roll, it's the body posture. Those things communicate far more than your words. So just because you say it or someone else says it, you can't just, oh, that's not what I said. That's absolutely what you said, right? You may not have said it with your words, but everything else said it. Your non-verbals matter. When someone is angry, what happens to their voice typically? Gets louder. Sometimes faster, right? Depends on the person. Some people, they have a hard time formulating words, right? But typically, it'll get higher. Their pitch goes a little higher. They get louder, right? And they get faster because adrenaline right your nonverbals are responding to that adrenaline pumping in you okay when people are sad what happens softer right gets a little lower right okay nonverbals communicate and they matter and you're fooling yourself if you think that they don't and i want to pause here just a moment because I want to talk to you about one particular thing in conflict that's really really important and that is something in the communication where we call mirroring okay mirroring when somebody comes at you in a certain way, it is very easy to let your emotions rise to the same occasion, right? So they come at you a certain way and your instinct is gonna to be to mirror it. So, and this happens even with just negativity. Somebody comes to you and they're being negative and they're being, like our tendency is just to mirror their behavior. Right? You have to guard against that. You have to, you have to get into that self-control and say, I'm not going to mirror it, I'm going to counter it. Right? Which takes a level of predetermination. A level of predetermination. Something I've learned in <laughs> is that you can't say less than you've already said. You've already said it, right? You can't say less. You can always say more. So you're better to say less. <laughs> like you're better to use fewer words because you can always come back and say more. But once something is out there, you can't pull it back. And there are words that are so sharp and there are hurts that run so deep that it will ruin your relationships forever. So say less knowing that in a different frame of mind, at a different time, you can always come back and you can always say more. When someone comes at you and they're yelling, yelling isn't the best way to respond right? It's not the best way to respond. It's not the best way to handle it because it escalates. And what we want to do is de-escalate conflict. And I'll tell you, the number one way to start de-escalating conflict is to deal with yourself. Okay. <clears throat> the goal of conflict is resolution. Okay. It's resolution. So I have to ask, in the conflicts that you engage in, is that, is that your goal? To resolve the conflict, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring reconciliation, or are you just confronting someone because you're mad? Because there's a difference. And the motive matters, because out of the abundance of the heart, that's what's coming out of your mouth. 
okay? So the motive matters. Now I grew up with a wonderful father, but my father was a hothead. Okay? My dad had a terrible temper. And so we would be in the car, and my dad was a smoker, and so I can't even tell you how miserable car rides were for me because it would be the middle of winter, we'd be like freezing to death, but he had to open the window because he's smoking, but the smoke doesn't, it still gets all in the car. So I'm back there choking, freezing cold, right? And to make matters worse, my dad was a very aggressive driver. And so, and the horn was like, all the time, right? But my mom, my, my dad was a believer as well, but my mom was more sanctified. And so my, my dad would get so mad, but he didn't want to flip anybody off because he knew my mom was like, she'd give it to him, right? So he'd do this. And I don't know why that just made him feel better. So we're driving down the road. He's smoking. I'm freezing. Like he's usually got the radio blaring. He's honking the horn. He's like, I'm like, Dad, they think you're giving them a thumbs up, right? Like, they don't get it. But that was his way of flipping them off because my mom would get really mad. So to this day, if I am in the car, I cannot stand to be with people that, like, honk the horn, like, just because they're mad, right? Well, you know what I did? I married a man like that. <laughs> I married a man like that. So I'm in the car with my husband, and I was telling him yesterday, last night, I said, I'm going to tell this story about you tomorrow, and I'll tell you what he said here in a second. But uh, I said, I'm going to tell this story on you tomorrow. So we get in the car, and someone cuts him off. <laughs> right? He's just mad. Or we get in the car, and someone, like, he hates when someone, like, tailgates, and then they speed around you, right? <laughs> He's just mad. And so one day I said to him, I, my nerves can't take it because I still get so startled when someone honks the horn because I'm like traumatized from my childhood. And so I said, I said, you have to stop. The horn is not for self-expression. <laughs> so I tell him, it is not for self-expression. It is to prevent accidents. Stop honking the horn. And so he said to me last night, he was like, no, it is a great communication tool. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I, I don't have words that I can put up in my car like get off my bumper or whatever so the horn is my communication tool and then he said and if that doesn't work I just go <laughs> I, which is true that's what he does like cars will be, he'll be like what are you doing and I'm just like I'm like shrinking down in the seat of embarrassment thank goodness no one has ever my husband's a pastor by the way so I'm like <laughs> I'm like thank goodness they're not like following us into the church parking lot we'd have to keep driving it's terrible it's embarrassing okay so it's that way with conflict conflict and confrontation are not your tool to vent your anger Okay, that's not what they're there for. Horns are there to prevent accidents. Conflict resolution is there to bring resolution. To bring resolution. And your motive is really, really, really important. So I'm going to tell you a few enemies of conflict resolution. Enemy number one, sarcasm. Sarcasm is a major, major enemy to conflict resolution. How many of you have ever been mad or upset and then someone gets real snarky and sarcastic and you're like, you're lucky I'm a believer, I would take you out, right? Sarcasm just infuses conflict. It is an enemy. It is an enemy to resolution. Number two, and I got I this is me preaching to myself right now because this why I'm bad for this one, is eye rolling. Okay, is eye rolling. My favorite quote of all time is behind every great man is a great woman rolling her eyes. Okay, that's my favorite quote. Because I'm an eye roller. My husband says I do this real quick, like, 
seriously, right? And, and along with eye rolling would be any facial expression or gesture that communicates how can you be so dumb and still breathe, okay? That is an enemy to resolving conflict. Sighing, sighing, that deep sigh, right? Like that, <sighs> okay? That is an enemy to conflict resolution. Impatient postures, Impatient postures. And you know what I'm talking about. Okay, impatient postures. That is an enemy. To, I saw that nudge, by the way. I saw it. Okay, that is an enemy to conflict resolution. So if we want to successfully resolve conflict, we've got to develop empathy. We've got to guard our responses. The last thing I want to talk to you about is to call the foul. So I told you the first two are going to be about you, right? Got to get your own stuff in order. This is the one where you get to slap them around, and I'm talking about metaphorically, okay? So you can't leave here and say, Sarah said I could just slap you, okay? There will be no real slapping. But this one is call the foul. Call the foul. So what is a foul? A foul is an unreasonable, unfair, disrespectful comment or attitude. That's a foul. An unreasonable, unfair, disrespectful comment or attitude. Fouls include words like always and never. Okay, nobody always does anything. Nobody never does anything. You never pay attention to me. Really, never in your whole entire life, ever, ever, ever have I paid attention to you. Right, those are fouls because that is not true. It's an unfair thing to say. It also includes yelling or invading personal space. So I used to work as a social worker for a very brief time, just a couple of years, and we had this thing called the help desk. And the social workers would rotate and we would take turns who had to work the help desk and nobody wanted to do it. Because the help desk was the, you were the person that took the walk-ins, right? Like the people that just walk in and have their, and they're usually mad. And so I was working a job and family and this lady comes in and I'm on the help desk and she is so upset and she is just yelling and she, I mean, she is just so visibly upset. I know it's hard to believe that you would walk into a government agency and be a little frustrated with the bureaucracy, but she was, she's very upset, she's very frustrated and she is just yelling at me, right? And so I'm pulling out all the tricks, all the things I know to do. Keep my voice at a level, you know, monotone and, you know, not infuse it with, like, kind of step back and keep establishing proximity. Like, I'm doing all the things I know to do, but this woman is just coming at me. And so after I tried everything I knew to do, I held up my hand and I said, Ma'am, I need you to back up and I need you to stop yelling at me because I am trying to help you. She instantly just burst into tears. And she was so apologetic. You missed your story, babe. That's my husband. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so she was just, just weeping and so apologetic. Just, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm just having such a bad day and things are so rough and so difficult. So what did I do there? I called the foul. I said, you are yelling at me. You're stepping into my space. You are fouling me and I need you to stop so that we can communicate. Has anyone ever seen the movie Apollo 13? Okay, I love that movie. And it's probably the movie I quote the most. One particular line. 
And that is, you know, the astronauts are up there and they're in space or whatever and they're trying to get them back. And, uh, and so they basically take anything and everything that they know they have up there and they dump it on a table because they're going to start troubleshooting and problem solving for them. And there's this moment of chaos where there's just like stuff everywhere. And all of a sudden the leader walks in and he goes, work the problem, people. And I love that because then the whole room got organized. And they focused on the problem instead of just haphazard and frustrated and emotional. Can I tell you that that's what we've got to say to ourselves in moments of conflict? We have to say, work the problem. Because there is a problem there. And sometimes it takes a little digging and a little conversation. Sometimes you've got to get the fouling out of the way and you have to say, we're going to focus and we're going to work this problem together. Work the problem. Sometimes we have to call the foul just so we can focus on the problem. You got to call it. There are plenty of nonverbal fouls. Okay? Harsh tone, that's a foul. Yelling, that's a foul. Invading personal space, getting up in someone's face. I actually got in an argument one time with a friend, and they're like in my face. And all I did was step back and say, Is that how we're going to do? We're going to get in each other's faces now? Right? No, no, no. We're not going to do that, right? Invading personal space. But there are verbal fouls as well, and I want to share with you some of these. These are called fallacies in the world of communication. If you Google it, there's tons of them. But I'm going to share with you just a few that I notice the most because these are actually verbal fouls. So these are things you can look for and call people out and say, no, that's, that's not accurate. What you're saying there is not right. Okay, one of them is an overgeneralization. And we talked about that just a little bit. That's always and never and, you know, I never get what I want and we always do what you want. And Okay, those are fouls. Those are overgeneralizations. That is not true. Okay? A second one is called a false analogy. It's comparing things that are not alike. Okay? So it's like I say, I have this point of view in the situation, and then they're trying to argue with me about it, and they say something that's like, no, that's not the same thing, what we're talking about here. Okay? That's called a false analogy. Another one is a false dilemma. That's basically telling people it's going to be this or this. That's it. Can I tell you there are always more options than two? <laughs> I can't think of a situation where there's not more options than two. Okay, there is a lot of options. And those false dilemmas will impair your ability to resolve a conflict because you're going to get stuck bouncing between those two things. And you've got to get creative. And the Lord can help you. False dilemmas. Okay, the fourth one is what we call a red herring, and that's diverting attention to another situation. This happens a lot if you're in a conflict with someone and you're getting too close to something that's tender or sensitive. And all of a sudden they're going to say, well, you remember last Christmas when you... Right? Last Christmas is not relevant. We're talking about this right now. Okay? That's called a red herring. Another one is called post hoc, and that is assuming that one thing caused another. Okay? And a lot of times this is where some of our emotions get involved and some of the things we were talking about earlier with like filling in the blanks, right? Where you're like, you're reaching for things and trying to fill in all the things you don't understand. And so sometimes you'll draw a line um, or someone you're in a conflict with may draw a line and they may say, well, that happened and that's why this happened. Okay, but correlation does not equal causation. Okay, just because those things correlate does not mean that one was caused by the other. Okay. So when we're working to resolve conflict, we've got to recognize the foul. We've got to speak the truth in love. We've got to work that problem. 
One thing I wanted to mention regarding conflict resolution uh, with a team, okay, I wanted to throw this in there, and I, I think this is something that I think is going to help what you talked about earlier. Okay. So when I was the student ministries director, the first thing I did is I, I sat down and I said, we need rules by which we're going to communicate. Now, if you're having conflict on a team, one thing that is really going to help you with that conflict is to do a little preventative, <laughs> little preventative measures, okay? So we establish rules for how we're going to communicate and deal with one another. And the reason this helps so much is because then if somebody fouls, you have something to point back to. And you can say, we agreed we weren't going to do that. We agreed we weren't going to behave that way. Okay? And you can call them out on those particular things, on those fouls. And so I wanted to share this with you. Now, this is just cut and paste, okay? So this is just, these are the exact rules that I gave to the student ministries team. So let's take a look at them. Okay, the first thing I told them is a quick response. Okay? We owe each other a quick response. So barring vacation or other extenuating circumstance, all communication should be responded to ASAP within 24 hours. At least, uh, got it, I'll get back to you, thinking about it. Something. Okay? Just something. Because what you don't want to do is leave any room for a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation. So that's why that was a rule for us. Another one is something I call no threats. Our communication with one another is not going to be threatening in nature. We don't storm out of the room. We don't have big emotional eruptions. We're not five. Okay? We're not going to let our anger get in the way. Okay? We're not going to threaten one another. So I shared with you a little bit about my father. And this was another thing. When, when you deal with people that are hotheads, right, that have tempers, this is something they do. They'll posture themselves like, don't push that button because you don't want to deal with my anger, right? And I tell this to our son all the time. And, you know, we're like, don't threaten us, like, with your emotional eruption. That's not who we are, how we behave with one another, okay? Something we call collaborative cross, uh, crossover. Anything, events, communications, supplies, anything that crosses over to another department should be handled collaboratively. A conversation at a minimum. Okay? Involve all necessary parties. Decisions should be made with the other departments in mind. So ask yourself, who else needs to know? Does this affect anyone else? Okay? Just a few more. <clears throat> okay? The other one is to only involve the necessary parties. Okay, you see the difference there? One is involve the necessary parties. The other one says don't pull anybody else into this if they don't need to be brought in. Okay, remember that people are deeply complicated like we talked about earlier. So the more people you bring to the table, guess what it just got? A whole lot more complicated. Okay, face-to-face -face resolution. If it involves conflict or potential conflict, it should be handled face-to-face -face or over the phone at a minimum. Okay, this is really, really critical. I'm actually going to stop and skip ahead here just for a second. Okay? Right here are different channels of communication. Now, some of these can be broken down into many more. Okay? Face-to-face, -face, video conferencing, telephone, written communication, email, text, things like that, and social media. What happens the further you go down on this scale, okay, is the room for conflict just grew astronomically astronomically. You know why? What did we remove? What do I remove if I do written communication or I just post? I remove the nonverbals and how much of our communication is nonverbal? Right? A huge number, like 90%. Well, you just removed it. Now, 
I'm going to step on maybe a few toes here and say that emails can be a coward's way out from dealing with conflict. Okay? Because we all feel super safe when we're like, it's why people post such dumb stuff on social media. Because they feel safe. It's like, okay? But you remove the nonverbals, and that is really, really important. You need the nonverbals. You know why? Because they could take what you have written and they're going to put their own stuff in there. And that may not exist. You may not feel that way at all. And they need your nonverbals to show your kindness and your love and your patience and your care for them. It's really important. Now, a leader asked me one time, they said, but I want, like, proof. Like, I want, like, a, you know, something I can track in this conflict in case they, like, go over my head or go to another person or I want proof. So my, my personal workaround for that is let's have a conversation and then I send an email. And I say, hey, just so you know, this is what we talked about. I just wanted to recap it just to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, and I, I will email it to them, okay, so that I have it. But the initial communication took place face-to-face, okay? I just wanted to skip ahead since we just happened to be on that. Okay. All right, so now let's come back to leave the past in the past. Leave the past in the past. You don't need to bring up something from two years ago. If you're holding on to something from two years ago, you need an altar. Okay? Shouldn't be holding on to something from two years ago. So let the past be in the past. If we've dealt with it, then let it die. Okay? we got to quit kicking the dead horse. Okay, truth and love. Truth and love is what I told them. No fouls. First and foremost, we're Christ followers. That's what we are first and foremost above everything else. Circle back. If the loop is open, keep the communication flowing until it's resolved and check it off the list. And that says preferably the Asana list because that's my preferred way to check off tasks. So give grace, get grace. Okay, give the benefit of the doubt because we're all going to need it at some point. My mom used to say to me all the time, like just to invest grace in other people because at some point you're going to need it all right back. Because at some point you're going to misstep and you're going to need them to return that favor. And if you come at everybody with harshness and anger and frustration, that's what you're stockpiling. And then there's going to be a point where you're going to be in the wrong and you're going to want some of that grace back, but you will have not invested any of it. And it will not be there for you when you need it. Okay. All right, just two more. <clears throat> okay. Um, oh, I did. Sorry, I didn't see that one was up there. Give grace, get grace. And the last one is no games. No games. Communication should be straightforward because nobody likes to feel manipulated. Everybody wants to know where they stand. No one wants to feel like they're being manipulated. And can I tell you, like, the whole bun thing, like, I'm going to give you the good news, and then I'm going to give you the hard news, and then I'm going to put a bun on the bottom. Everybody's on to that. It doesn't work anymore. Okay, now people feel like, stop manipulating me, because I know you're giving me a bun just so you can smack me with baloney. Okay? <laughs> that is, right? That is not, we all on to it. It doesn't work anymore. So just be straightforward. You can be kind. You can be gentle. Leave that little bit of room, right, for the possibility that you can be wrong. And it's going to be okay, but it needs to be direct. It needs to be straightforward. Okay, confrontation is not fun, but it's absolutely necessary. Okay, so let's recap. How do you manage and deal with difficult people? You develop empathy. You guard your responses, and you call the foul. You call the foul. Okay. 
All right, well, that's what I've got for you today, but we've got a few minutes left, so I'd love to open it up for some Q&A. If you have any question or if there's just something that you want to clarify or add to, maybe you heard me saying something and you're like, oh, yeah, I want to add to that. Now's the time. Um, we talked, like, a lot of the examples you gave were more of, like, those obvious signs of, like, coming in. When we have someone who's aggressively passive-aggressive, mm. yeah, passive-aggressiveness is a foul. So you call them. You say, this is what you're saying, but I think this is what you mean to say to me. Is that true? Right? Now, at the end of the day, if somebody's just going to lie to you, right? I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. You can't control other people. All you can really do is control your response and do your best to stay in the right lane and to stay Christ-likeness. But for me, passive aggressiveness is a foul. And it's something you call them on. Just reinforce the root communication with the text. You know, I've, so many times, I mean, it's, Yes. That's just the way they interpreted yes. how this text was coming for it was very genuine. So yeah. I, sometimes I just like, I hate texting. Yes. I'm totally with you. When I say it all the time, like, if it is a conflict, do not text. For one thing, they may screenshot that thing and put it on Facebook. So, but, but texting is not the way to handle conflict because that tone of voice and that stuff. So my sister actually called me one time. My sister, she'll get frustrated sometimes and she'll just call and be like, okay, talk me off the ledge, right? Talk me off the ledge. And so she'll say, they texted me, blah, 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 blah. And I said, or maybe they meant blah, 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 blah. I remove the tone and the pitch and the inflection and all the stuff that she added. And she's like, well, maybe they did, right? Because we do. It's just like that story, which is why I wanted to share that story with you, just to demonstrate how much of that we put in ourselves, right? We put that in ourselves. So anybody else? Something you want to share? Question, comment? How do you tell somebody above you in leadership they're Oh, boy, that's really tough. So I'm big on challenge up, support down. That's my answer. So in any given situation, you have the right to challenge leadership. If you're working for a leader that you can't challenge, like I personally wouldn't work for a leader I can't challenge, right? That's, that's just me. I would not work for a leader if I don't have the right to come in and say, I disagree with this or I have a problem with this, right? I love my boss, John Wooten. I can, well, I told him I was going to jump up and down somebody's face, right? So I know that I can go in and I can talk with him in real ways. So you have to be able to challenge up. But at the end of the day, that is your leader. And submission only matters if you disagree. If you agree with your leader, you're just walking the same direction, right? It only really matters if you disagree. So if you disagree with your leader, you can challenge up. But once that decision is made and they said, this is the way we're going, you support down, which means when you leave that office, you leave that space, you have to support the decisions that are made. So that's my two cents. That is a tough one. I personally could not work for someone that I didn't respect or I didn't have a voice with or, you know, that's... Anybody else? The last, I don't know if you can answer this one, but time frame. Oh, yes. We, we talked about time frame. Yeah, so that, that is tricky. Time frame is tricky. So I would say this. If it is an emotionally infused situation, right? Now, I'll, I'm going to tell him myself here because I told him my husband. So now he's in the room. I'll tell him myself. Okay, so I can't stand if I feel like there's something between us, right? Like, I want to work that out. 
But my husband's a processor, and he doesn't want to like say things he doesn't mean, or he doesn't want to get. So he's just like, let me just have some time. But I can tell he's mad. So I follow him around the house, literally, don't I? I literally, I follow him around the house, and I'm like, what are we fighting about? Are we fighting? Are you mad at me? What are we fighting about? Are we mad? Right? And he will finally just say, I'm fine. I just need a minute, right? Because I just nag him to death. And even though I know I shouldn't, still, I still do it. We've been married 20 years. I'll follow him upstairs, downstairs, like all over. One time he went in the bathroom and he was like, wait, this is the one space that I'm able to get away from you, right? Because I can't stand it, right? That is a lack of maturity on my part because that time frame is critical. Because if you push on somebody before they're ready to have the conversation, it may actually make it a whole lot worse. So the first thing I would say is you got to pray. You got to pray because the Lord knows what's going on more than you do. That is, that's just the truth. He knows. And you've got to pray. The second thing I would say is to set a time. Like to say to that person, I know you need time. I, I need time. But let's, let's make sure that we get together in the next couple weeks to set up a time. Because you don't want to leave it hanging because stuff can build. Right? So you do have to deal with it. But you've really got to watch that emotional situation. And again, at the end of the day, you can't control that person. So they may go to their grave mad at you. And, well, that's just the way it's going to be for them if you've made every effort to, to reconcile. But the Holy Spirit can be absolutely amazing in that process. If I did that more, my husband and I would hardly ever fight because he gets over it. But I'm, like, chasing him around the house. So okay. we've got about three minutes. Anything else? Yeah. Techniques to overcome that adrenaline. It's like, you know, you can be, have that Holy Spirit with you, but yep. that heart is just pumping. And yep. Adrenaline is pumping. And what do you do? Yep. I would say if you're having like that adrenaline, okay? So in, in the ADHD world, uh, and as I said, my son has ADHD, and so I, this is something that I've studied a little bit. There's something called emotional flooding. Okay? And what that means is that someone that has an ADHD brain, all of their raw emotion comes to their frontal lobe. So it doesn't get filtered, it doesn't get... So my son will go from like, we're just sitting on the couch watching a movie, to like complete meltdown or mad or whatever. And so one thing that we've learned is just, we just got to back up and just let that emotion chill. So if you're dealing with someone who that emotion is explosive, I would say just back up. If you're the one having the emotion, I would say the same thing. Back up. Because, and if someone is like insisting, like me chasing you around, like trying to insist that you have the conversation, it's okay to say, I'm just really angry right now. And I, I need a moment to get my anger under control before we can have this conversation. So I would create space because it's in those moments that people really get hurt and that friendships erode and sometimes are on, like, you can't repair them. So I would put that emotion to rest before you have the conversation. Okay, anything else? Got one minute left. Yeah. On, on arguing up with your boss, a lot of times it's important, one, love, to establish that relationship with him. But two, make sure you know what you're talking about, too. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you've made your best argument. You've, you've executed your duty. Yeah. And then, like you say, you've got to support him. Yes, at the end of the day, you have to support. Okay. All right, well, thank you guys so much. Time or So much has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed our time together, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you.